Welcome to Gateway's podcast. We hope God speaks to you through this message from Pastor Don Brock. For more information about Gateway, please visit www.gatewaybc.com. It's great seeing you this morning. We thought about having church outside. It's so beautiful outside. And then I just like the air conditioning. So we're staying in here. Um, Tonight is our chapel service. Uh, Tonight's going to be a very special one. Uh, We've got this uh, singing group and a lot of people in the group have connections with Gateway. And uh, so if you you haven't been to a chapel service yet, tonight would be a great night to choose to go. At six o'clock, our chapel's on the back side of the campus if you've not been there before. So I hope you will think about that. So uh, right after this service, uh, I'm leaving. There's 15 of us. Uh, we're doing our, uh, my annual 12th grade man trip and uh, where I take the guys on a trip. And so just pray for us. Um, we've got, uh, we're going to have a great trip. We're going to do some deep sea fishing, but we're going to spend a lot of time talking about God's word. So we got, we're going to have all these guys on a 15-passenger van, and, and so I made sure I packed a lot of gas X for those guys after we eat, you know, eat somewhere. Um, and so it's, it's, gonna, it's just going to be a great trip, so pray for that. Uh, last night, I had my 50th high school reunion. I mean, it, I, I told Mary, I said, I don't know about this. And, and we just had a blast. I got home about 1.15 this morning. And, uh, but it, it was great seeing people and talking to a lot of friends. And uh, I've only been to two of our reunions, and they, they always feel like I should pray. Uh, and so they let me, they asked me to pray, uh, you, know, you know, somewhere in the beginning of it. And so I got up, and I said, hey, before I pray, so I don't have to go to each one of you individually and do this. I'm just going to do a blanket. I'm sorry for anything I said or did in high school that offended you or hurt your feelings. And so I just, I've waited 50 years to get that off my chest. So now I feel better. And uh, of course, everybody can relate to that. And so it was, but we had a great time together and it was great for Mary to meet a lot of my high school buddies. And, and uh, we, it was just a fun evening. And what was really cool is just talk to a lot of them about their faith and, and, uh, they, so many of them follow my son, and so they were asking a lot of questions, and it, it, but it was just great to talk to them and catch up with them, and uh, so I, I, uh, I thoroughly enjoyed that. I survived it, um, but one of the hard parts was uh, I was shocked at how many of our class was already passed away, and many of them passed away before their 20th birthday, and it just reminded me... Um, of what Psalm says that life's like a blade of grass or a wild flower. Uh, it's here and then it's gone. And, and then the verse, two verses after that in Psalms, it says, but true life, real living comes from having a fear of holy God. And, uh, just a reminder of what real living is. And that really sets us up for what we're talking about. I, I love when we do a, through a book, through a letter, um, through a Bible book, and we go verse by verse. And each summer we, we do this. And the staff and I, we spend a lot of time praying and thinking about what book should we do. And so we decided the book of Galatians. And 
And so we're going to walk through the next nine weeks, verse by verse, through the book of Galatians. And, and God's Word's powerful enough. It stands on its own. Um, and then each week, we're going to take one of the fruit of the Spirit out of Galatians 5, 22 and 23, and close out each message dealing with that one particular fruit. So that's the essence of what we're trying to get through in Galatians. And, and so we're calling this, Don't Give Your Freedom Away. That's the name of this series. And as we study through it, you're going to f- find out quickly why we called it that. And, and today we're going to look at the first 10 verses of Galatians chapter 1. And I'm, I'm calling this just staying free, how to stay free. So in my car... You know, most of your cars have a backup camera. You know what I mean? The, the screen there, and you put it in reverse, and, the, and then a camera turns on in the back of your car, and it shows you what's behind you and how to back up safely. Well, about a year ago, mine started messing up and flickering around, and I took it to the dealership, and as soon as they said, yeah, it'll cost $1,000 to figure out what's wrong with it. I said, you know, I can live without it. And so, but then a while back... It fixed itself. I said, well, that's cool. It saved me a, a thousand bucks. But it fixed itself upside down. <laughs> so now my backup screen comes on every time, but it's upside down. And I thought, oh, great. That's going to drive me crazy. So what was fascinating, what absolutely fascinated me was my brain adjusted for it. Not that I saw it upright, but I could read it upside down. And so I can look at that upside down image and know exactly what's going on and see what I need to see and aware of what I need to be aware of, just as if it was straight up. And it just fascinated me that the brain will make that adjustment. And then I found this statement, which totally explained it to me. Because this is from some experiments that they did with people's visions and where they took these special goggles that inverted their vision and to see how long it would take for a person's brain to make the vision upright, even though what you were seeing was upside down. And, And here is what they came to the conclusion of. It said, as long as the change of view is consistent. So in other words, as long as my camera is always upside down when I back up, our visual system eventually, somehow, your brain, adjusts to interpret it as being normal. Now, get the impact of that statement. As long as my backup camera is always upside down, my brain adjusts as if that was normal. Now, the first time you got in my car, it would drive you crazy. But eventually you would go, oh yeah, I, I, I see it now. When God's word is absent from your mind, and you fill your mind with the world's way of thinking, then your mind will adjust to the world's upside-down view of life 
and will think that it's normal. Did you get that? The longer you look at the upside-down view of the world, and basically, if you want to define the world system, just take everything God says and turn it upside down. That's what the world has done. God says, this is good. The world says, nope, that's bad. God says, this is bad. The world says, nope, that's good. God says, the only way in my heaven is Jesus Christ. Nope, there are lots of ways to heaven. God says, you will find meaning and purpose in life in a relationship with me. Nope, everything of relevance uh, is, is found within yourself. That's the way it works. And as long as you consistently fill your mind with the world's way of thinking, you're going to eventually believe that that's normal. I mean, how many times have you listened to a Christian make some outlandish statement so contrary to Scripture, and they try to present it that this is correct? And you're going, where in the world did you get that? Well, what's happened in that believer's life, they have watched the upside-down vision of the world to the extent that their brain has adjusted to thinking that's normal. And that's why even believers will fall into things that are absolutely opposite of Scripture. And it will happen every time. Uh, here, here is some of the uh, when we spend far more time listening to the world and little time listening to God, here's some of the things, conclusions that we will come up with, which is inverted. Number one, it's all about me. That's probably the biggest lie we buy into. It's, it's all about me. As long as you sincerely believe what you believe, you'll be okay. As long as you're sincere about it. Have you ever heard that one? I know Christians that believe that. They say, yeah, I believe the only way to go to heaven is, is through Jesus. But if that person has that faith and they are sincere about it, I think God will cut them some slack. Show me that in Scripture. Here, here's another one. The best way to find yourself is by looking within yourself. You know, you know why so many believers, their lives are kind of screwed up? Because they bought into that. They are trying to define who they are based on what the world has said to them or what they say to themselves. It was not until I bought in to who God said that I was that I started finding real peace in life. Even as a believer. It, it wasn't until I bought into the fact you know, I'm saved purely because of what Jesus did for me. Not anything I've done to fix myself or save myself. Once I truly understood who I was in Christ, that I was a new creation, once I understood that God had a plan and purpose for me, and it's not about my plans, once I bought into that, then I began to see who I was, really was. I mean, I was a new creation. And that's only through Jesus Christ. But if you're looking for yourself through yourself, in yourself, or worse, in who the world says you are, 
you're setting yourself up for a huge disappointment. Here's another one we buy into. People should celebrate someone else's life choices, and I should keep God's word and God's opinion to myself. A lot of people have bought into that one. To be fulfilled in life, I should pursue the things that I desire the most. That's where I'll find real fulfillment. Have you bought into that one? The highest goal in life is to enjoy as much as possible. That's the highest goal in life, to enjoy it as much as possible. The problem with that is the definition of enjoyment. So now let's start with Galatians chapter 1, verse 1. This letter is from Paul, an apostle. He always identified himself and his authority given to him. He said, I, I was not appointed by any group of people or by any human authority, but by Jesus Christ himself and by God the Father who raised Jesus from the dead. Well, that's a powerful statement, but I want you to make it personal. And here's how I want you to make it personal. God has appointed each of you as a believer. First, he appointed you to be saved. He wanted that for your life. And then he's appointed a purpose for your life. And I know that I know that definitely because that's what the Bible says. I've appointed the days of your life, the days you're, you're numbered, the days you're going to live. I've appointed those. God did that. I, I made plans for your life even before you were born. Who did that? God did that. So my identity is found in my appointment. The Holy Spirit has given you certain spiritual gifts. I had nothing to do with that. The Holy Spirit did that. So that the spiritual gifts I have appointed for me how I was to, my life was to be used. That's why, that's why you have to know your spiritual gifts because that's where you find your purpose and your fulfillment and your joy, enjoyment. When I use my spiritual gifts, I find no greater pleasure than anything else than in the satisfaction of being who God has created me to be. So you could say, I wasn't appointed by a group of people or human authority, but by Jesus. He saved me. I was appointed by God the Father. He planned out my life and a purpose for my life. He decided what spiritual gifts I was going to have. He put his spirit, his Holy Spirit inside of me. When you get to that place and you, and you really believe that as a believer, you have a divine appointment on your life, man, that gives you purpose. That gives you meaning. That gives you a deep satisfaction and joy you will not find anywhere else. It also means... If you spend the rest of your life living for other people's expectations, you're going to be so disappointed. So disappointed. 
uh, at the family at the uh, high school reunion last night. Uh, it was so great catching up with so many buddies and. One of my friends that was there, uh, actually one of my friends that I haven't seen in 50 years, we've known each other since crib babies. You know, we went to the same church. You know, the, uh, and the person changed his diapers, probably changed my diapers. And, you know, it was so fun catching up with him that I literally have known him my entire life. But another friend was there. Uh, we flew together in high school. And both of us, we had the same goal. We're going to go fly for the Air Force. That's going to be our life. That's what we're going to do. And uh, he went to East Carolina, and I went to NC State. And then, when, as you know, as, when I was a freshman, God pointed out to me, no, nope, this is my goal for your life. This is my purpose for your life. And uh, I remember reaching out to my buddy. I said, dude, I'm, I'm dropping out of ROTC. I'm not going to do the pilot thing. And and, uh, and, and, and at first he's like, you're crazy. What are you doing? This is, this is all we've talked about. But what's really cool is to see how, because yeah, he's a believer, and we both did what God created us to do. And we both have lived the way our lives God intended for us to live. I mean, he wound up having an amazing career in the Air Force. You know Top Gun that came out? <clears throat> well, that's the Navy version of the best of the best. Well, my friend was actually an instructor at the Air Force version of Top Gun called Red Flag. I mean, that's how good he was. He was an instructor there. And, I mean, I, that's, that's, that's top of the game right there. I was so excited for him. And last night, we could celebrate that we both lived out the purposes and plans for our lives. And, and we weren't, at first, you know, we were always competing and always like, you know, I'm going to be better than you and all that stuff. But then it was kind of like we become each other's cheerleaders. Man, I'm so proud of you. That's amazing what you're doing. And then he's supportive of, uh, of what God is doing uh, here at Gateway. And so that's cool. That's great. So who are you going to spend your life trying to meet their expectations? You should only listen to those individuals whose expectations are you, of you are what God's expectations are of you. The people who support what God has called you to do. Not the ones who try to talk you out of it. I want to tell you, parents... If you have one of your students come up to you and say, hey, I really believe God's calling me into ministry. The last thing you need to say to them, yeah, but you need a backup plan. Really? You need a backup plan from God's call on your life? You need a backup plan for what holy God's called you to do? If your kid comes along and says, here's what God wants me to do, and it's not what you want them to do, I hope you will set aside your personal expectations and buy into God's expectations. Verse 2. Man, we got a lot out of verse 1. That's great. All the brothers and sisters here join me in sending this letter to the churches in Galatia. So this letter was meant for more than one church. In fact, he would write a letter and it was meant to be passed around to other churches and they would actually get passed around to churches in other areas. 
And he says, may God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ give you grace and peace. So listen to this. Jesus is the only one that can give you grace. If you look for grace anywhere else, you're not going to find it. And grace is the only thing that will give you peace. If you're looking for peace anywhere else, it will not be found. And if you find something that you think looks like peace, it will be short-lived. It will not last. Jesus is where you get grace, and grace is where you get peace. Don't look anywhere else, because you will not find it. Verse 4. Jesus gave his life for our sins. Just as God our Father planned. Oh my goodness. In order to rescue us from this evil world in which we live. Now, Jesus' death, it, it was voluntarily. I mean, he volunteered to do that. He had the opportunity to walk away from it numerous times when he's tempted by Satan in the wilderness for 40 days and night, or at the end of that 40 days and night. He could have walked away then. He could have walked away at any moment. And then the night before he, the night he was arrested, he really could have walked away then. Even after he was nailed on the cross, you know, he could have, he could have walked away right then. Thousands upon thousands of angels were at the ready for him to give the word to come and get him. And then that had been it. But Jesus voluntarily did what the Father planned for him to do. His death satisfied God's demands against sinners, which is you and me. His death allowed us to be reconciled to holy God and provide us redemption. The gospel emancipated us. It accomplished the will of God. And you know what's amazing to me is that God created the human race and he created you and me knowing what kind of sinners we were going to be. He created us anyway. And the only theological basis that I can come up with of why he did that is simply because he wanted to. And knowing what we were going to do, and knowing he had already planned for his son to be a sacrifice on our behalf, he did it anyway. Because it was his will. That, that ought to give you incredible comfort of the kind of God that we choose to serve. It's difficult for me to wrap my brain around the idea that God created the human race knowing what we were going to do and knowing what it was going to cost him. Only God can rescue you from this world, plain and simple. So you need to stop trying to rescue yourself because it will never work. Verse 5. All glory to God forever and ever. Amen. All glory to him. All inclusive. Nothing's left out. Anything 
that is of glory, only God deserves it. To be worshiped, to be praised. And man's glory that's given to you is fleeting. You know, uh, our high school graduates this past week um, went through all their award ceremonies and all their graduations, and a lot of our kids just did amazingly well, and they got a lot of uh, personal glory. You know, they got a lot of recognition. And I was telling them in the last service, when the service they usually attend, and I, I said, look, that's great that you got all that recognition. You worked hard for that. But you need to now take all those trophies and all those, the, those uh, uh, recognition, all that recognition, and you need to hand it over to God and say, this is all for your glory. Then I told him, I said, you know, it's okay to put your trophies on a shelf. It's okay to put your recognitions on a shelf. Just don't put a spotlight on it. Put the spotlight on God. And take every, everything that you earn, everything that you deserve from the world standards, and hand it to God and say, look, this is for your glory, not mine. All glory to God. Period. Verse 6. Now, normally... Paul um, expresses thanksgiving to God for his readers. But in this letter, he did not. I mean, he jumped right into it. Normally, if you go back to any, read any of his other letters, he usually says, I thank God for you, and I thank God for this. But no, he said, I am shocked. I'm shocked that you're turning away so soon from God. I'm astounded. I'm amazed. I'm astonished. God who called you to himself through his loving mercy of Christ. Through Christ, God showed you mercy. And you are so quickly turning away from this. You are following a different way that pretends to be the good news. But it is not the good news at all. Do you think the world's trying to show pretend good news? Absolutely. Everywhere you turn, there are people, there's groups that are saying, hey, here's the good news. You, you can be who you want to be, and we're going to celebrate it. That's the good news. The good news is you can be whoever you want to be, and that's okay. That's a perverted good news. And, and, and Paul said, I, I'm just amazed. I, I'm, I can't get over it. You are following a different way that pretends to be the good news. But it is not good news, God's, uh, good, the good news at all. You are being fooled by those who deliberately twist the truth concerning Christ. When it says deliberately twist, that means they know what the truth is and they're intentionally taking it and twisting it and turning it and making it something that it's not. Oh, well, that sounds familiar, doesn't it? You know, the first time this started happening, 
was before, before creation. When the most beautiful, one of the most powerful angels ever, Lucifer, in his own mind, in his mind's eye, he turned the image upside down, just like my backup camera. And the, the image, the correct image was God's God, and we're his creation, and all glory is to him. In fact, we think that Lucifer was the one who was there to watch over the glory of God and sing of his holiness, speak of his holiness 24-7. But Lucifer turned it upside down where he thought he was on the top. And he wanted the glory. And he said, I'm going to take my throne. Instead of God being on the top, I'm going to put my throne on the top. And the longer he looked at that upside-down vision, he began to convince himself that that was truth. And you know what? He's been doing that ever since. The next time it showed up was um, in the garden. Truth was, you can have any fruit you want, except this one tree. If you eat from that tree, the fruit of that tree, that's when you're going to die. You're going to die spiritually, and then you're going to start dying physically. And Satan came along and said, you're not going to die. In fact, God doesn't want you to eat of that because then you'll be like him. He took truth and he perverted it. And the longer that Adam and Eve stared at that perversion, it seemed right. Oh yeah, that really looks tasty. I'd like to have knowledge of good and evil. I'd like to be like God. And they bought into it. That's the second time that showed up. You know the third time it showed up? In your life. Even as a believer. Satan comes along and he says, I know the Bible says this, but... I know the Bible says this is good, but in reality, it's bad. I know the Bible says this is bad, but in reality, it's good. And even believers who stare at the inverted, twisted view of truth, the lie becomes truth to them. And it seems right. It's happening every day. And when God's word is void in your life, you will buy into the inverted truth, which is a lie. Guard your minds. Guard your hearts from that. Well, there was a departure from the true gospel. And they were being fooled by people who were deliberately turning it upside down. And ultimately, that's from the evil one. 
Verse 8. Here's some strong words. Let God's curse. I want to tell you, when you pronounce God's curse, it doesn't get any worse than that. Doesn't get worse than that. Let God's curse fall on anyone. In fact, let it fall on me, a divinely appointed apostle, including angels from heaven who are God's heavenly messengers. May anyone, including me and the angels, who preach a different kind of good news other than the one we preach to you, may we be cursed. Anyone who takes truth of God and inverts it, may they be cursed. And I'm putting myself in that lot as well. That, that's one of the reasons why we take God's word so serious in this, tr- in this church. That's why we take very serious what life group leaders teach. That's why we take very serious about what's preached from the pulpit. And anybody who inverts it, ah, we don't want to give them a platform at all. Verse 9. I, I say again that we have said before, what we've said before, if anyone preaches any other good news than the one you welcomed, let that person be cursed. Obviously, I'm not trying to win the approval of people. And and you know, I tell you what, your life will become so much more settled when you choose to stop living for man's approval. And you choose, it, it says, I'm not trying to win the approval of people, but of God. If pleasing people were my goal, I would not be Christ's servant. Basically, it's hard to be a Christ follower if you're living for the approval of people. Your life needs to be so focused on, I'm here to please one person, and his name is Holy God. And that's it. And people, including family members who cannot accept that I am living for him, and they want to divert me from that, that's on them. But I cannot let anybody, even people that I love and have special relationships with, I cannot let anyone divert me from what God has called me to do. It's, it's about him, period. I'm not trying to win the approval of people, but of God, Period. And if you try to please other people, if that's your goal, you will not be able to be a servant of Jesus Christ. So you got a choice. You can be a people pleaser or you can be a Christ follower. You can wake up every day and say, how can I make everybody happy around me? Or you can make up every day and say, how can I please holy God today? And if you begin every day wanting to please holy God, I'm telling you what, you're going to have a different kind of day. 
It doesn't mean you're going to not have storms. You know, Jesus, there was a big storm that happened on the Sea of Galilee, and, and their boat thought they, they thought their boat was going to sink, and they thought they were going to die and perish. And during that storm, guess what Jesus was doing? He was sound asleep. You know why? Because he understood God's purpose and plan for his life, and he knew he was safe. It didn't matter how bad the storm was. It wasn't going to touch him or his disciples. We're told that story to teach us about faith. As long as you're living for God's purposes and his plan, you don't have to worry about the storms that come your way because you're going to get through them. And even if that storm devastates you, you're still in God's hands. Well, take your inverted vision and straighten it up. And God's word is the only thing that can do that. Now each week we're going to talk about one of the fruit of the Spirit. So let me close by talking about the first one. It's found in Galatians 5, 22 and 23. So let's just read that. But the Holy Spirit produces, not you, the Holy Spirit produces this kind of fruit in our lives. Love, joy, peace, Patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. See, you can't even produce self-control. The Holy Spirit does that. And this word fruit, it's a singular word. You know, when I go and buy apples at the grocery store, I don't, I'm not going to eat the stem, but I don't sit there and twist them all off and leave it. And I don't eat the core, but I don't take a knife and cut out the core and leave it. I mean, I take the whole apple, Right? So every believer, when you have Christ in your life, then the Holy Spirit begins to produce fruit in your life, singular. So he's, you don't pick one or two of the nine. They're all there. And, and if you ever want to know how you're doing in your walk with the Lord, Galatians 5, and 23 is a great place to go and say, okay, are these nine things evidence in my life? And if they are, then that's indications to you that you're letting the Holy Spirit produce these things in your life. And, and these things come naturally. You know, I, I've stood by fruit trees before, and I've yet to hear any moaning or groaning from the tree trying to get a fruit to pop out. It just naturally comes. And if you're straining trying to make fruit come out of your life as a believer, uh, that's not how it works. As you walk in an upright view of the world and what the Scripture says, and you walk pleasing God and not man, and you walk in truth, these nine things are just going to automatically and naturally be in your life. The first one, which is really the foundation of all the other eight, is the word love. And the Greek word used there is agape, which is the biggest word of love you can get. Uh, this kind of love, agape love, it, it's not a feeling. Um, it is, um, it's a self-sacrificing love. Just like God did. He self-sacrificed himself through Jesus to die for our sins. 
It's also a love of choice. It's not an emotional affection. It's not a physical attraction. It's not a friendship bond. There are other Greek words for those. But it is a respect and a devotion and affection to holy God that willingly leads to self-sacrificial service. That's that agape love. So when you look at the fruit of the Spirit, as you look at love, is that evident in your life? Take your inverted view of the world and turn it upright. Let's pray.